Hello and welcome to episode 320 of the official EstablishTheRun.com podcast. My name is Adam Levitan. I am one of the co-founders here at ETR and we are coming off of a no longer a King GPP bro kind of week. Yes, that's right. Yes, that's right, folks. I was only in 8v8 away from winning another 250k this week. Only a 9v9 away from winning a million. You know, of course, as any true King GPP bro would say, I-, I played great this week. You know, I got killed, but that's just the way it goes in tournaments, right? It's never the King GPP bro's fault. Oh, you know, Braxton Berrios at 33% owned on DraftKings. You know, obviously, obviously terrible play, but yeah, just unlucky. He broke the slate. Uh Oh, Russ Wilson finally got there. Yeah, you know, just just random luck. The King GPP bro loses every cent, but talks about how well he played because he had six guys in his lineup at sub 8% ownership. You know, uh, of course I'm exaggerating, but but yes, uh, I had nine tournament teams this week and I got one min cash out of them. Um, you know, I played bad, period. I know I'm doing the, the tournament bro bit, but but in reality, I mean, come on, I, I played bad. You know, no excuses. Play like a champion. The, the larger point that I'm trying to make is that last week, seven days ago, I felt like a god, you know, Zeus himself, the best DFS GPP bro tournament player in the world. And this week, I feel like the worst. And of course, you know, as always in life, I think the truth is somewhere in the middle. If you have an expectation of, say, a 10% ROI in a tournament, a lot of that is baked into the 100x hits or the 50x hits. There are going to be a ton of air balls along the way, all in the game. But generally speaking, yeah, I didn't play great. I wanted to make a couple points. First, on Chase Edmonds. Chase Edmonds was a spectacular play at low stakes. Um, let's put it this way. Chase Edmonds was 33% owned in the $2,000 buy-in Millie Maker and 9% owned in the $20 Millie Maker. So like what happened here? Well, James Conner was limited in practice Friday and rap sheet, Ian Rappaport said Saturday night, Arizona was optimistic that Conner would play. But then Ed Werder, boots on the ground in Dallas, Ed Werder reports Sunday morning, Conner likely to sit. And then there was another report confirming that. So in our projections, we moved James Conner to out around 11.30 a.m. Eastern. Now, of course, the high stake guys are on that. You know, they are in front of their desktop computers like alphas. But as you can see, the low stakes guys, the phone shitter lineup guys, they are not on it. So still a huge edge there. And, and I know that it didn't work out. You know, Edmonds only had 13 DraftKings points, but the dude got 18 carries and six targets, at least three touches inside the 10, if not more that I saw. You know, at 5,700, obviously, 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 a great play. Overall, though, you know, this was such a tough slate on DraftKings because the pricing was so, so tight. I, I just could not do anything that I wanted to do. Oh, oh, you want to play a Burrow double with Tyreek or Kelsey Bringback? Like, literally can't. Too expensive. Oh, you want to skinny stack Lance, Trey Lance with a Debo or a Kittle? Like, you really couldn't. And, and it made it really hard, like... I was struggling on DraftKings so bad. I had two teams registered for the 2K on DraftKings and I tried to unregister one of them at like 11.30, but it, I couldn't, you know, it was too late. On FanDuel, however, it was totally different. You could do a lot of things. And I did play the Burrow stack over there, but I was drawing dead somehow to win with it, which is crazy. 
because it went off again so hard. But this is what I mean by how hard it is mentally to be a full-blown GPP bro for all the reasons I talked about last week. Like I was never playing a Joe Burrow single stack. It was always going to be Burrow and two of his wide receivers. So right there, I'm already like pretty much dead because T Higgins and Tyler Boyd both failed. You know, and also I'm always looking to fill the tight end spot in correlation with the stack when I can. Last week it was Mark Andrews in my Burrow double. He went off. This week it was Kelsey at 10% owned and he failed. Like I was never bringing it back with Darrell Williams, even though he was a good play. And I did play Darrell Williams on other teams. But my point is that I was just, even though I had the Burrow double, I was never winning, period. As for cash this week, you know, I don't really have a lot to add beyond what I put in the lineup review article on the site. I thought getting to... Jonathan Taylor, Cooper Cup, and Antonio Brown was a priority given how weak the wide receivers were in the mid-range and how I never want to spend or hardly ever want to spend in the mid-range at tight end when I can avoid it, you know? So like Barrios and Sutton, I thought were fine. Steven Anderson, given Slate text context, I thought was fine too. You know, I, I thought it was a really good example of understanding that Slate context is so important for cash. Like, of course, in a vacuum, if you told some meathead at a bar, you played Steven Anderson and Cortland Sutton or Braxton Berrios, he would think that you're a stone cold dolt. But that fails to bake in the rest of the slate, other options. You know, was it worth fading Jonathan Taylor and his massive ceiling so you could play Michael Pittman or whatever, or Brandon Cooks or DJ Moore over Braxton Berrios? You know, I thought that was an easy answer. All right, heads up that we are indeed on a normal content schedule for week 18, of course. And then, of course, all the way through the Super Bowl, the Cox, they will be grinded off. Enough is enough. Let's get to everyone's favorite portion of the program, the listener questions. Producer Luke, hit the theme music. Thanks to everyone for the questions. Appreciate it very much. Question one comes from Jacob. He says, with legal sports betting becoming more and more available, do you have any tax advice for the recreational gamblers out there? 2021 was the first year I hit a profit, 25K mostly from ETR props, and I am very afraid of my tax bill. Yeah, so uh, Jacob, I have bad news, bud. Um, Very bad news, actually. When you gamble and you win, I know you didn't know it, but you have a partner, a silent partner, and that partner is the United States government. At the end of the year, you will receive a 1099 from DraftKings or FanDuel for DFS. And you are also expected to report your sports betting winnings, which are obviously tracked by the sites as well. So, you know, yeah, when I won the 250K last week, like roughly 150 of that is mine and 100 belongs to the U.S. government, period. Like I knew that going in, which is fine. You know, it is what it is. The frustrating part of it, to me at least, is that the government is only your gambling partner if you win. So, for example, let's say you won 100K in calendar year 2021. You owe 40K or whatever your effective tax rate is. Let's say we go to 2022, though, and the next year you lose, you lose, you lose 200K. Well, then the government is no longer your partner, right? And assuming you have nothing to write off those losses against, well, it's just GG, you know, it's just, it is what it is. So yeah, I mean, generally speaking, I think understanding taxes as you move up in stakes matters. I, of course, of course, 
am not a CPA. So please, please do not take any of this literally and consult with someone who actually knows what they're talking about. I, I think that it's worth it to hire a professional, like in most cases, um, to handle stuff like this. Question two from Jeff. He says, how excited are you to team up with PBR? Hashtag team eat ass. Yeah, so this is crazy, man. Um, a few weeks ago on the solo pod, someone asked me about ass eating season. And, you know, I was I was really shocked. You know, I put the clip of my response on Twitter and a ton of people watched it. I got so much funny feedback. So then a couple days ago, the official ca- account of the beer, Paps Blue Ribbon, posted this tweet. It said, not drinking this January? Try eating ass, exclamation point. And so I guess this was in response to like the dry January movement or whatever people are doing. I, I don't know, whatever. But the best part of this is that there was a bunch of blowback on the tweet and they deleted it. And then PBR, whose whole brand is like shitty beer and getting fucked up, PBR had to release a statement. And, and I got to read this statement. The statement says, we apologize about the language and content of our recent tweets. The tweets in question were written in poor judgment by one of our associates, said Nick Reilly, vice president of marketing for PBR. In no way does the content of these tweets reflect the values of Pabst and our associates. We're handling the matter internally and have removed the tweets from our social platforms. I mean, my God, that, that is so, so good. I mean, imagine you are some stiff, you probably went to like Harvard Business School or something, you're some stiff in corporate marketing and you have to release a statement apologizing for a tweet some kid you hired made about eating ass. But, you know, I actually think this was a mistake on PBR's part to delete it and apologize. I think people have had enough of the uptight, you know, politically correct, extreme cancel culture stuff. Like, I can have empathy for others. I can be a good person, hopefully. I can be a responsible human to society and our planet. And I can also think that doing a joke on ass eating is funny. So I think PBR missed a chance to lean into it a bit. Um, Just my two cents. So good. Question three from Hot Dog Fingers. He says, what future endeavors expansions should we expect of ETR moving forward? Yeah, I can't get into specifics really. You know, don't really want to tip off people to our plans. But I think the bottom line is that we're always trying to provide max value to people, period, like end of story, you know? And and to me, I think a lot of people think about this stuff backwards in in all walks of life. They think like, oh, you know, what, what tweet will get the most engagement? You know, what is the best way to show how smart I am? Whatever. Instead, the goal for us is give people value and you will get engagement, you know? You'll get people responding. And like the same thing with my Twitter or ETR or whatever, like obviously if we wanted to maximize revenue on the ETR side, we would just sell sports betting picks, you know, like Vegas Dave style or whatever. We'd be zillionaires, you know, sports books would be dying to advertise or acquire us or whatever, but, but that's not value, you know? So if we just think, hey, how can we help people play better in fantasy football or DFS or props or super contest or, or whatever game they're playing, then we can all sleep well at night and that's always going to be the plan. So if you guys have ideas about how we can add value, things you want to see us do, don't hesitate. 
Question four from FPL. He says, I have noticed two Levitans appearing on the stream recently. One is a low T baby faced virgin. The other is a high T mountain man who is on the team. The only explanation I can imagine is that the baby face is necessary to get on the team. Why do you keep cutting off that badass beard? Yeah, uh, FPL, I-, I know what you mean. You know, there's no great thought process behind this. It's not like I'm quote unquote growing a beard sometimes. It's simply that I haven't had a chance to shave in a while, period. You know, it's not that intentional really. It's just, it's an annoying process to shave. And-, and I'd add to that, that yeah, I probably do push it sometimes with the beard. Like I don't shave for a while, even though I know I should in an effort to hide my disgusting face. But the good news is, that we are in a golden age of bad beards. You know, I mean, you walk outside, you see just a zillion bad beards and, and I'm here for it. Question five from XFL DFS. He says, how long will it take for the prop market to get very efficient? It isn't player versus player like DFS, so I'm skeptical that there will always be an edge. What would an efficient market look like? So I'd say that the bottom line is markets trend toward efficiency you know, all of them, period, you know, poker, DFS, crypto, stock market, whatever, everything. They trend towards efficiency at different speeds in different ways. But yeah, everything gets more efficient over time. Obviously, in terms of props, we are at the very beginning here, you know, it's not efficient. Eventually, you know, two years out, five years out, who knows, we could see far fewer soft lines. But I would note that it's such a unique time on the operator side right now you know i know everyone's instinct is to just think about all these books and sites that they're trying to maximize for money for profit you know that they hate to get beat on soft lines that they they don't want to um give up any ev to the to the customers and that's just not the case you know i mean someone sent me a note asking about prize picks like why would they said why would prize picks do a promo deal with us you know we're crushing them in props etc um obviously DraftKings, like in other books, are putting up prop lines on guys like just this past week. I mean, there was a line that we bet like Chris Manhurts line was up on DraftKings. You know, I mean, it's crazy. Like Ray Ray McLeod lines were up in the game last night. I mean, it's wild. Obviously, the only people betting Chris Manhurts and Ray Ray McLeod lines are true sharps, you know, people who are going to win. But the bottom line, I think that if you zoom out, you have to understand is that they're playing a different game. The operators are playing a different game. We are playing a game to win money from them, but they have bigger goals. I mean, these are billion-dollar companies, you know, hundreds of million-dollar companies. The long game for them, I think, is just acquiring as many customers as possible, as much market share as possible, and figuring out the rest later. So for now, the bottom line is that I think we have a really incredible window where the inefficiency in the prop market will sustain, you know, for a decent amount of time, I think. I hope. Question six from Landon says, my girlfriend is a finger counter, including time. Been trying to teach her simple math for five plus years, but seems like a lost cause. Do you suffer from finger counters in your life? And how many do you think you've lost to in head-to-heads over the years? Yeah, I I mean, this is humiliating, Landon. Uh, What he's referring to is like finger counting. He says his girlfriend like takes her fingers out and like counts you know, like this, for those of you guys watching on YouTube, uh, to count time. I mean, that is just absolutely humiliating. I, I think our education system has failed us a lot when it comes to math. 
But man, you know, she's got to fake it. I mean, you can't go to the fingers as an adult. You know, you just can't. I don't think that I'd break up with her over this, but man, you know, I, I think about it. You know, they, they did a curb about kind of about this not too long ago where um, the girl, uh, instead of just laughing when she thought something was funny, she said, LOL. I mean, you know, that's just so brutal. You got to draw the line somewhere. Question seven from Johnny Beaupre. He says, can you post some lines for props in our favorable Rivers League? Points per game, assists per game for Levitan and also money line for us to win the championship. Yeah, so what Johnny's referring to here, I'm sure some of you know Beaupre from poker. He's the man. He lives near me in Colorado. Anyway, uh, we joined a men's basketball league here with a bunch of guys from the gym that we go to. You know, like um, all the guys that we go to the gym with, we're like taking on guys we don't know in a men's league. You know, it should be fun. The first game is actually tonight. You know, I, I personally need a 40 and over league, even though I'm, I'm still 39, but, but this is not that. Like I expect there to be some, you know, 20 something guys out there and expect some pretty decent players. That said, I have to think that we are at least, at least minus 250 to ship the title here. I mean, even though I've never seen anybody else in the league play, I, I got to think we're at least minus 250. You know, first of all, m- most of the guys or all of the guys on our team are working out like almost every day. We have zero slobs, you know, rolling out of bed after 12 natty ices with, with disgusting bellies, you know, going to play some ball. But more importantly, I mean, we have some insanely good players on this team. You know, not, not me. You know, I was decent in high school, but that, that was literally in 1999. I peaked 22 years ago in, in so many different ways, which is honestly sad to think about. But regardless, you know, I, I was never even close to being on the level of some of these guys that we play with now at the gym. One dude played for Dartmouth. One dude played for Towson. One dude played for South Dakota. I mean, they're insanely good. So I have no idea who else is in this league. But I mean, Jesus. I I mean, this is the fucking suburbs of Denver. I would be absolutely stunned, Johnny. Stunned and humiliated if we don't win this league. All right, question eight. Last question we're going to do today comes from PayPal. He says, I don't have a question. Just give me an epic rant to close out the season, particularly one on people who actually value NFTs and aren't simply trying to profit. Yeah, I already did my rant on on the collecting nonsense versus gambling, you know, a while ago. I don't think I need to go back to that. But I will give you uh, a take uh, from when I was in Florida. You know, I was in Florida last week and it hit me, man, like I've spent a huge part of my life, you know, since I was 13 or whatever, trying to see women in their underwear. Like so much time spent developing a strategy you know, how, how I'll do it, grinding hours on it, consuming my mental headspace. And of course, you know, it's so hard, you know, uh, for me at least, it's so hard. You know, it feels like they're doing everything they can, you know, to not let us see them, you know, in their underwear. You know, they're, re- they're grinding really hard on that. And that makes sense, you know, that's cool, whatever. But what I don't get on this is the beach. I mean, it's really outrageous. You know, these women, they they spend their life trying so hard to keep their clothes on. But as soon as they get to the beach, it's just out the window. You know, everyone, every single one is basically wearing next to nothing. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, Adam, that's a bathing suit. That's not underwear. I mean, come on, stop it. When when I was in Florida, I would say 50 to 60% of the women were wearing thongs, stone cold thongs, like both ass cheeks out. And the difference between a bikini top and a bra, I mean, I mean, if there is one, I sure as fuck can't tell. 
And, and don't get me wrong, I'm not complaining. It's amazing. It's just confusing to me. It's like the sand is this magical thing. As soon as the feet hit the sand, this lifetime of trying to keep me away from this site is just out the window. It's wild. You know? Perhaps some of the female listeners out there can enlighten me. I'm, I'm genuinely curious. All right. That's going to do it for this edition of the Solo Pod. We'll be back later tonight with Silva for Team by Team. See you then. For producer Luke, for Jerry, I am Adam. Good luck, everybody.